Hello and welcome to episode two of Square One, the official podcast of the Down to Earth Institute with me, Manveer Gill, and my co-host, Todd Olive. First up, the news. Take it away, Todd. In the news in the last fortnight, vaccine-derived polio spreads in Africa after defeat of the wild virus. This comes after two weeks ago we reported that uh, wild polio in Africa had been eradicated following an extensive campaign for vaccination in Nigeria. Nine out of ten electricity companies are dragging their feet on renewable investment. This is according to a study by the University of Oxford's Smith School of Enterprise in the Environment, which looked at more than 3,300 electricity companies worldwide and their investment strategies in the past two decades. The research revealed that only one in ten energy suppliers across the world are prioritising renewables over fossil fuels. Zombie fires have sparked record Arctic CO2 emissions, with summer carbon emissions from Arctic wildfires a third higher than last year's previous record levels. This is according to atmospheric monitoring service Copernicus. On Friday, work on the High Speed 2 rail project began with a pledge of 22,000 jobs. Environmentalists criticised the project, saying it will cause considerable environmental damage and describing it as a vanity project. Facebook has announced that it will not take on any new political ads in the seven days prior to the US election on November the 3rd. This follows significant criticism over the 2016 US presidential election and the 2018 midterms, in which Russian bots were uh, widely accused of interfering in the US election. And finally, on Friday night, Climate activists were accused of attacking free press by blockading print works owned by Rupert Murdoch's News Corp on Friday evening. The Prime Minister said that a free press is vital in holding the government and other powerful institutions to account. Now, Manvir, uh, I know you're particularly kind of passionate, interested in, exercised by, uh, by this last story in particular. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about why uh, that gets you quite so riled up, that last headline there? Well, I think what's really interesting here is that Extinction, Rebelli- Extinction Rebellion is facing challenges from, from all over the political spectrum, not, not just Boris Johnson, but also the Labour leader Keir Starmer saying that Denying people the chance to read what they choose is wrong and does nothing to tackle climate change. And stepping around questions of right or wrong, I'd like to question the claim that denying people the chance to read what they choose does nothing to tackle climate change. Because when these newspapers are funded by Rupert Murdoch and other individuals that have a vested interest in climate change, we've seen that they will go to great lengths to back unsubstantiated and downright invalid claims about climate change and renewable energy. And when people choose what they read, I assume that a majority of those people take for granted that what they're reading is true and it's based on facts. But so when that's not the case, we're actively hindering our national position on climate change and our civic stance on what we want from our government. And I don't want, I don't think that denying people the chance to read for a day necessarily deals with those issues of press being deceitful and people believing what they read but it certainly raises a question about all of this, an important one at that. So I think the the other way to look at this um, particular kind of protest by Extinction Rebellion is that blockading um, a couple of kind of print presses um, for, for, 
for news news outlets like the Sun, the Times, the Mail, um, the the Daily Telegraph. It it's people don't the vast majority of people don't consume their news through print media anymore, right? Um, so the 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 this kind of question of accessibility of of news the ability of the the free press to to kind of operate in these circumstances that there isn't a question it's it's still accessible it's you know it was one day of um of of the presses being blockaded you know it, it and the paper wasn't available in some news agents for one morning that's that's not a big deal given the other ways in which news can be accessed nowadays the other way to put it is that Actually, should the free press be totally free to do the sorts of things that Extinction Rebellion are trying to draw attention to here? There's a now I'm not advocating for for censorship by any means, um, but there's a, a question of whether or not um, the free press has behaved responsibly, as as you kind of alluded to um, a minute ago in reporting climate change. The the Mail in particular um, is is renowned for for cherry picking. Um, particular scientific papers or, or studies in the, used in the loosest possible way and for saying ah this must be the truth and um, the, the example is stuck in my mind is um, re reports that came out following a, an outlier paper that suggested the Arctic would be ice free um, by the middle of the the second decade of this century which of course turned out not to be true but it was it was painted by uh, the mail in its sister outlets as a a completely ridiculous um, piece of, of climate science that was kind of emblematic of the rest of climate science. And it, it really undermined, um, certainly at the time, the message that, that people were trying to get out. Um, so I, I think, if anything, Extinction Rebellion have done a good job, perhaps, of, of drawing attention to, to that and to the, the responsibility we must make news outlets face up to uh, in combating the climate emergency. On the other hand, um, and I, I suspect you might agree with me here, Manvir. Um, there's there's the question of whether Extinction Rebellion have done more to raise awareness of the problem, or whether they've done more just to alienate people from doing something about climate change. I don't know if you if you had any thoughts on that. Well, given that the government is looking to classify Extinction Rebellion as an organised crime group, I think that by conflating environmental activism with violence, we we certainly do risk alienating um, the, the, the general public. And I think given that it's a minority group within these protests and that they're taking the attention away from the key issue of climate change, I think that's certainly a bit of a worry here. But regardless of that, this is an important issue. And it's, it's clear that through normal processes that have, have occurred until now, the media has not been held accountable for using science in a way that is deceitful. And and I think that when, when that is the case, you sometimes do need to go to um, lengths that might be seen as extreme. Um, and I don't necessarily agree. I, I, I definitely don't agree with, with violence that stems from that. But... Um, I'd love to know what, what, what else we can do to, to get media outlets to be held accounted, held to be held accountable. So, is all press really good press? We'll leave you to decide. As time's moving on, we'll move on to our next section, 
this week we're discussing Manveer's upcoming blog, which I understand Manveer is about refugees, about how they've been impacted by the, the COVID-19 pandemic and about how climate change could make the global situation for refugees a lot worse. So what made you want to write about refugees right now specifically? Uh, well, the reason why I think it's incredibly important to talk about refugees right now is that the pandemics only compounded the plight of these individuals who are already marginalized in, in many countries that they've migrated to. And the nature of the living conditions for so many refugees can be such that many people are crowded into small areas with minimal facilities for sanitation that make it just downright impossible to partake in the best practices that we in the West are used to hearing uh, in terms of dealing with this. In spite of all this, the pandemic's actually taken any attention and support away from refugees, leaving them more vulnerable at a time when informal and casual work opportunities have been drastically reduced and, in general, the situation does look a whole lot worse. Well, I, I don't know about you, Manvir, but it sounds uh, like a bad enough situation to me without throwing climate change into the mix, which is, uh, I know, one of the other things that, that you are going to talk about in this in this blog post. So so for those who don't know, um, what exactly does climate change have to do with this? So looking beyond the pandemic, forced migration is only going to be exacerbated by climate change as regions that are barely making ends meet are being shifted into climates and conditions that can no longer sustain their lives. And when you add to that the threat of disasters and growing civil unrest, we can begin to see why the UN's International Organization for Migration projects that up to one billion people could be forced to migrate. And the uncertainty and danger that refugees and migrants face make it clear. This is a situation that needs to be addressed and supported in order to guarantee a decent standard of living for everyone. So that's why that's why this has been on my radar this week. Well, I don't know about you, Manvir, but to me, that sounds like a difficult topic for difficult times. I'm sure you'll do it justice, and I look forward to reading it later on this week. And with that, we've run out of time for today. Thank you for joining us for this second episode of Square One, and we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks' time.